in our second segment of the show. We're going to move a little closer to home in terms of where things are happening and the Queens District Attorney race, which is a fascinating competitive race and the primary for those of you in Queens and elsewhere watching, but the voters in Queens, Democrats, June 25th, Tuesday is the vote. And so if you're a Democrat in Queens, you should be ready to vote on Tuesday and get up to speed. And that's what we're going to help you do here. Um, So we are going to be joined now by Emma Whitford in the studio, freelance journalist who's written a lot of good stuff for us at Gotham Gazette and elsewhere on the Queens DA race. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And also by David Brand, who has been covering this story. He is a freelancer for City Limits, uh, but also covering the story uh, in, in Queens. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And I should say that not only has Emma done some great work about the, sto- about the race for uh, Gotham Gazette, she's done some great work about the race for our paper, the Queen's Daily Eagle, too. Yes, indeed. So, David, why don't you start us off um, with a little overview, just a, a moment on what this field of seven candidates looks like. Sure. So, you know, first of all, like what, what an amazing time to, uh, to be covering uh, – the criminal justice system in Queens and politics in Queens. Uh, we have this exciting DA race that today two presidential candidates uh, mm-hmm. weighed in on, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren backing uh, Tiffany Caban, who's a public defender, uh, entered the race in January. Uh, I think began her campaign as uh, more of a, a symbolic campaign or a statement campaign trying to raise issues of justice reform that uh, she didn't see the other candidates talking about yet, and also highlighting the need for more representation of uh, people of color in the DA's office. Um, And so she is uh, definitely the most progressive candidate, uh, seven-year career as a public defender. Then you have uh, also among the progressive candidates, Councilmember Rory Lanceman, the chair of the Committee on the Justice System. He was the first person to announce his candidacy, and he's been laying the groundwork for his campaign for several years, reaching out to communities in southeast Queens and in uh, uh, immigrant-rich neighborhoods of Jackson Heights and Corona for many years. Um, But he's kind of been outflanked by uh, Tiffany Caban, and he's lost a lot of uh, his progressive supporters to her, I think. Then you have uh, another person on the left that's Jose Nieves, a former prosecutor in the attorney general, state attorney general's office, a former Brooklyn prosecutor. Uh, Mina Malik, who was the former director of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, uh, and she was also a prosecutor in Queens in Brooklyn, and she helped really establish the conviction review unit uh, under Ken Thompson in Brooklyn. Melinda Katz, of course, the borough president, a former council member, a former assembly member, uh, has garnered most of the establishment support from uh, high-ranking members of the Queens County Democrats, including Gregory Meeks, Congressman Gregory Meeks. Uh, She's also secured a lot of support from major unions. And so I think despite a lot of the uh, uh, fanfare, or Tiffany Caban of late and a lot of the support that she's been getting, I still consider Cass the presumptive favorite. Um, you also have Greg Lasak, a former Queens Supreme Court judge until he retired in September so that he could run. Uh, for many years, he, I think, was the person that the Queens County Democrats thought would 
be the heir apparent to uh, former DA Richard Brown. Um, but, you know, maybe times have changed for him, and uh, maybe he's uh, not generating the same amount of support he may have in previous years, but still, I think, popular in northeastern Queens and some of the more moderate Democrat and more conservative-leaning communities of Queens. And then finally, Betty Lugo, an attorney, was once a Nassau County prosecutor uh, and co-founded the first Latina-owned law firm in New York City. Uh, and she, for nearly two decades, was a registered Republican. She switched her party allegiance uh, in November 2018, uh, announced her candidacy for Queens DA, and says she's open for the GOP nomination, if that's possible. There is someone running on the GOP line, on the Republican line. His name's Daniel Kogan, but that's a possibility. Uh, they could still assign Kogan to another uh, another position elsewhere in the state and give the nomination to someone else if they determine they'd like to do that. So, Emma, so you have this wide field of candidates uh, vying for this seat in an environment where I think it's safe to say, at least among the Democratic electorate in New York City, the political center embraces the idea that we need more criminal justice reform. And there's a fair amount of of commonality on that. So what are the themes of the race or what are areas where there's been some discernible difference among the candidates? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this because I've been listening in on some recent uh, candidate debates, one of which you hosted recently. And the tricky thing is, you go through these opening statements, and as a novice coming into this race, when these candidates are trying to put their best foot forward, it's kind of hard to see daylight. Um, So one thing I was thinking about today is prior experience is one thing that differentiates them. There's sort of three buckets, right? You've got the prosecutors in uh, Nieves, Malik, and Lasak. You've got the politicians in Katz and uh, Lanceman, and then you've got the one public defender. So I think the bird's eye differentiation, um, which has proven really favorable to Caban, is just which bucket do you fall in? Um, so Caban being the one public defender, she often talks about the clean break she would bring to the office. Whereas the prosecutors say, oh, she has no experience. You know, this is where experience matters, and then they'll list off uh, their accolades. And then for the politicians, they often play up their existing relationships in the borough. And we've been talking in this race about things like, would you uh, seek bail, cash bail on a variety of offenses? And who, you know, it's sort of been a bit of a race to say who has the most aggressive, you know, do not prosecute list. And you've talked, you know, there's been debate around, um, you know, whether certain offenses should be just totally uh, decriminalized. Um, David, what are some of the what are some of the key strands there in terms of the issues that you've been looking at where you can see a little bit of daylight? Well, certain candidates say they will not ask for bail under any circumstances, and that includes uh, Tiffany Caban and Rory Lanceman. Um, and so they're definitely they've been out front on that for a while. Um, we should say the state the that, state has a new law around bail that has sort of removed that from the equation in a lot of instances, right? Correct. So that's going to be another interesting part that the new DA is going to be uh, taking over the office right as these new uh, criminal justice reforms take effect on the state level and uh, will really curtail the use of bail. Um, But, you know, several candidates have made that a uh, key part of their campaigns from the very beginning, and that's including Kamban and Lanceman. Others say on a case-by-case basis, um, I, they're all, they all 
adhere to what I would think of as prosecutorial reform 101, and that's uh, no no prosecuting and definitely no asking for bail on uh, on low-level offenses like marijuana possession or turnstile jumping. Um, and then when they where they you know tend to differentiate us on issues like sex work decriminalization, which has been Emma's beat for uh, for quite a while, and I, maybe she could talk more about that. But Tiffany Caban has been out front saying that she would not prosecute any offenses uh, or anyone engaged in uh, any sex work related uh, what are now considered offenses. Do you want to say a little bit more about about that aspect of the race? Yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, the sort of Sanders and Warren endorsements speak to today. Um, and we those, should say that comes on the heels of the New York Times editorial board also night, endorsing Caban, which, really so can't. it's been a big 24 hours for her. <laughs> Hard to keep up. Yeah. Um, but uh, Warren and Sanders are two you know, very popular progressive presidential candidates who actually have not had well-articulated positions on the decriminalization of sex work. So regardless of what happens next Tuesday, all of this national attention on Caban's platform um, could have a ripple effect on the national level. Um, you know, I was tweeting this out today, but it seems like a good time to sort of ask Warren and Sanders again what their position is on uh, decriminaliz- decriminalizing sex work. One thing that came up at the forum uh, earlier this week was the issue of management experience, in addition to whether they have courtroom experience or not, what kind of courtroom experience they have. But it's a massive office. It's 300 lawyers, 300 other employees. And most people on the ballot have not managed anything like that, except for Amina Malik, who did run the CCRB, which has, I think, 200 employees. So, I mean, that talk about how these candidates have talked about how they would impart whatever kind of philosophy they have on this massive staff that's already there. Do you want to take that, David? Yeah, I think that. Yeah, sure. I think I think to to, to a certain extent, every candidate would say that they have some kind of management experience, managerial experience. Um, and but I think that you're right. The the, the one clear management role was Malik um, at the CCRB. Uh, it's act, it, it's so amazing that in any other year, any one of these candidates would be considered. Uh, very, very progressive. Maybe this is four years ago, five years ago. These would be really transformational campaigns. And now, uh, as Emma said earlier, sometimes it can be hard to find daylight between the campaigns. But this seems to be an issue that keeps coming up. And it's the issue that a lot of uh, the candidates use to try to uh, hurt Caban because she is relatively young and has been practicing law for seven or eight years. Uh, and has been it hasn't managed in her public defender experience. Um, Kat says, you know, I manage uh, entire staff as the borough president, oversee a budget as the borough president. Recently, just allocated sixty-five million dollars uh, to various projects around the borough. Uh, Lanceman could cite his experience as the chair of the committee on the justice system and calling the different DAs, the five different DAs, or uh, acting DA John Ryan into uh, City Hall to grill them. Uh, you know, Nieves can talk about his experience uh, as a high-ranking official in the state attorney general's office, and Blasak would talk about his experience uh, as one of the very top officials in the Queens DA's office before he was a judge, and he was leading the Homicide Bureau. So, right on. Pa- on they, it's, they fa- it's fascinating because on paper. 
LASAC, you know, sort of has this resume where in a traditional world you would say, oh, he's 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 ready to be the next DA. He worked in the office for a yeah. long time. He was a prosecutor. Then he was a judge for more than a decade. Um, but we're not in normal times. Right. And he's also you, people can turn that or around. Traditional on times, say, I should say. Right. And I think people can turn that around and say, well, do you want someone who's a creature of the office, someone who was there for uh, more than two decades working with several of the people who are still top officials in the office. And uh, I think a lot of people, and I think the New York Times editorial board included, want someone who's going to really overhaul things in that office. But we should say Um, on the flip side of that, the Daily News and the New York Post editorial boards went with LASIK basically on the the sort of strength of that traditional traditional resume. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see if any of those endorsements carry more weight. (laughs) Right. Anyway, how about the money in the in the race? Is that a, a major differentiation among the candidates in terms of how much gas they have left in the tank for you know the next, last last few days? Say, David's been doing some really really good reporting on this. Um, one thing that stuck out to me from the most recent filing is that though Katz has much more money in the bank than Caban does, Caban actually out fundraised Katz um, in the last period since uh, AOC endorsed um, endorsed Caban and with a much, much lower average donation date. It was something like $1,000 was the average donation for cats and something like 40-something dollars was the average donation for um, for Caban. Yeah, and uh, if you do control F in Caban's most recent filing <laughs> for $3 donations, you could see, like, uh, it, it's funny. There's like seems to be a direct correlation to AOC sent out a uh, email to her entire email list soliciting contributions of three dollars mm-hmm. for Caban, and then you could see there's like more than a hundred three dollar donations. Um, and it was foolish of you to reveal your too. reporting techniques, David. <laughs> it's, it's all about control F. <laughs> control F. Let's go. That's a really important uh, point, it, though. Yeah, that that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's endorsement and then fundraising emails clearly seem to have given her a boost, but she's had a little bit of a perfect storm of. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a bunch of other progressive endorsements. Then you have the Times and these presidential candidates coming in. And it's not necessarily that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's endorsements will change that many votes. But this is about narrative and buzz and news coverage. You know, even if you don't, even if you see news coverage that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have endorsed this candidate, that might not change your vote. But then you're reading about this candidate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, I think more than uh, really giving a leg up at this point to uh, Caban, I think the Warren and Sanders uh, uh, endorsements are going to help them because it kind of points to their <laughs> progressive bona fides. And maybe they're banking on in a few years saying, remember, I uh, endorsed Caban. I, I want to point out, though, that she did get a ton of small donations and she got more contributions than uh, all the other candidates combined. But she also got some really massive ones too, and from some from billionaires, including the wife of the uh, CEO of Netflix. But there's just some like incredible money in this race. Like uh, a campaign committee for Kathleen Rice, U.S. Uh, Congress member, Congresswoman, former Nassau County prosecutor. She donated thirty-eight thousand dollars. I shouldn't say donated, but contributed thirty-eight thousand dollars to LASAC. Uh, Lanceman, Rory Lanceman, who wasn't even mentioned, as you point out, Ben, in that. Uh, in that uh, New York Times endorsement, he has the most money available right now. He still has like almost four hundred fifty thousand dollars on hand, I think. And so, 
There's, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money from real estate interests that's been going to cats, and now you see starting to shift toward LASAC. And there's a ton of money coming from law enforcement interests, too, people who worked in law enforcement who now run, like, private security firms or are in the, in the private bar, uh, private attorneys. So a lot of money. You know, this, I think, if I'm correct, this is kind of an experiment. This is the first big local race subject to the new June primary law. And so what that means for turnout is obviously a, a huge question mark and a huge factor in the race. Emma, what do you see? We, we've heard from The New York Times now. We've heard from, as you mentioned, Bernie and, and Senator Warren. Are there other big chips still to fall? Are there other endorsements on the table, other factors? Or is it now all just about getting out the vote? I would say the latter at this point. Um, I, we've sort of talked about this, but there are some ways in which all the endorsements Caban has gotten recently. It seems like those would resonate the most with the same group of voters. Right. Um, you know, uh, again, David has been writing about uh, the Southeast Queens factor, um, yeah. where you know some of these names that are falling in the middle of the pack uh, reportedly have been doing a good amount of outreach there, um, including Mina Malik. Um, and Rory just, Lanceman thinks he's going to do very well in Southeast Queens. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and he he's like been laying the ground game there. He's been laying groundwork in Southeast Queens for years, and so you talk to some people and yeah. some community leaders there, and they say he they still favor him uh, because he's been he's been there, and he's 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 known, and he's been working hard to get people's vote there. And same with Mina Malik; she has a lot of connections in the communities of Southeast Queens. It's one of the most important voting blocks in. The entire country, uh, one of the most reliably Democrat, and uh, people turn out to vote. And so, like like Emma started to say, and I'm sorry for cutting off Emma. But <laughs> I think I did a, it first. <laughs> I apologize too. Um, I just remember talking to Lanceman really early on. I did a story for Gotham Gazette in the early spring, and he was like, "You can't win this race on the timeline that Caban had set out to do." And I think. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think Caban has built a ton of momentum in a small amount of time, um, probably more than Lanceman thought she would. And we should also say in terms of the sort of strategy and geography of this race, Southeast Queens, predominantly African-American area, that by, you know, various accounts, not necessarily looking for the most progressive candidate uh, in the race in someone like Caban and a lot of the leaders there mostly have are backing Melinda Katz, the borough president, who has a lot of the establishment support, including the new leader of the Queens County Democratic Party, Representative Gregory Meeks. Um, and it's just a very interesting battleground because, like I said, Lanceman and, as you said, David Malik also think they're going to do fairly well in Southeast Queens. So there's all sorts of places like that, but maybe that's the most important where how the vote is split or whether it consolidates behind one of these candidates could really go a long way in determining this thing. I mean, the the sort of thought I keep coming back to is if the Caban coalition really comes out and Katz doesn't just sort of nearly sweep a lot of the rest of Queens, she Katz could be in trouble here because Caban's you know, sort of army is is pretty dedicated to her. And then we have to see if Lanceman, Lasik, and maybe Malik will pull a bunch of quotes from uh, votes from cats. Is that the right way to think about it? Anybody have any uh, other thoughts on how this plays out? I mean, is, is it Katz's race to lose? Is it now sort of 50-50 with Caban? Are we not considering somebody else that has a real shot? I can see Malik taking some cat's votes. She said something sort of cryptic. I forget if it was the last 
the debate earlier this week or the one the week before where she was like, I was told not to run, but I couldn't sit it out. So, (laughs) you know, I think she sees her role as like the experience she brings could sway some people who might otherwise vote for cats. But. Right, and candidates can can do well, and in so doing, split votes that, that they would need to dominate and, and kind of uh, uh, weaken other candidates in that way. Certainly, Lysak and and cats could fit into a, a dynamic like that. Well, I also, I mean, you know, the, the your point about the election and the test, this is the election. This is it. I mean, you know, on Tuesday, there's some judicial elections. There's some party, you know, state committee members that are going to be voted on. But except for a a city council special election in Brooklyn, so not in Queens, in Queens, this is it. So the voters that are coming out are either really high information, dedicated voters who vote in every single election. They know this is happening or they've been motivated by one of these campaigns. And to me, you know, that certainly speaks to, you know, Caban's ability to pull off an upset. And then, of course, to Katz's ability to, you know, sort of pull out the, you know, we, we haven't mentioned she's got a lot of labor behind her. And if they are really working it for her, she's going to be in good shape, the teachers union and others. I have a, a purely it's, speculative it's question to, to ask. Sorry, David, go ahead. I was just going to say it, it, to what Ben was saying, that it's really amazing timing that uh, because it's the Queens DA race always in an off year. It's really the only like big ticket, high profile race, and so we're really all uh, paying attention to it. And now, it seems like many people across the country are paying attention. To this yeah, race. it's great, it's exciting. It, yeah, well, I guess my question kind of ties into that. I mean, one of the reasons why Richard Brown was in that office for twenty eight years, possibly, is because these were these were off year elections, and you saw that in that whole generation of DAs, people who were there: Morgan Thau in Manhattan for thirty four years, Robert Johnson for. 20-some-odd years, Charles Hines for a couple decades in, in Brooklyn, uh, a little more change in Staten Island, but, but, but you know, Bill Murphy was, was DA there for, for 21 years or so. Do you think, based on the dynamics we're seeing now, that whoever's elected this year is going to be there for, for two decades? Is that still the way it's going to be for DAs, or is this now a different kind of office just because of the high-profile nature of criminal justice? I was thinking about this today because um, someone asked me the exact same question. And, you know, I think one of the these grassroots groups, their uh, electoral arms, a lot of them have rallied behind Caban. But there's also these non-electoral arms of groups like Vocal New York and uh, New York Communities for Change and that set out with this race as their, their number one goal was just awareness that this is an elected office. It's a really important elected office and you can choose who's in it. Um, so I think they've been really successful in that campaign and it's hard to imagine. I imagine we'll be seeing more primaries in the future. Um, I also think if Caban wins, there will be an, an opportunity for like a foil candidate. Right. To, that, that's yeah. very interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't think this goes anywhere in the general election this year, even if Caban wins, you know, I've been saying, I think, if Caban wins, maybe you see LASIK try to figure out his way onto the Republican line or something like that. But even yeah. if that's the case, I don't I don't see anything happening in the general. But I do think, you know, it'd be very interesting to see if Caban wins, if there's a backlash in the next election and she gets a real, you know, sort of more moderate challenger. Or if, you know, if Katz or somebody else wins, you get Caban coming for it again or somebody else from the from the far left could be very interesting. What is your answer to your question, Jarrett? Uh, I agree with, with Emma. I think we're going to see more more competition, more primaries around these these issues. I think that uh, the, the days of the 30-year DA are probably gone. Final thought, well, David. Go em- ahead. What, yeah. Oh, yeah. What Emma said is so important, that there really is this motivated grassroots coalition, especially here in Queens, uh, which has become like the spiritual center of progressivism. 
And if the next DA comes in and that grassroots coalition determines that they are not as progressive as they want, then they're going to definitely draft other candidates and really hold people accountable. Um, one, one final thought that I think would be really interesting if, is it, if Caban wins uh, in particular, uh, is she going to be sharing, is she going to be fulfilling her promises? Uh, and so, for example, is she going to be sharing uh, uh, lists of problematic police officers who DA's office won't call to testify? Is she going to stop uh, uh, asset seizure? Uh, it, how is she going to prosecute uh, hate crime. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really transformative. That, that, I think that's a great point. You talk about a public defender running to be the top prosecutor and how that actually happens um, is is a fascinating uh, possible experiment to see. Emma, final thought. Last tiny note. Um, so Rachel Rollins, the new progressive DA in Boston, came down to yes, came down to endorse. <laughs> yes. uh, sorry, South. geography. Uh, uh, this week, and I did a story about her early days, um, and there's a really aggressive court watch program in Boston, and they noticed that she was not immediately rolling out her do not prosecute mm-hmm. list. Um, and she was you know, willing to sort of be like, yes, I'm working on it, but it was definitely a bumpy situation. Um, so that'll be something to watch closely. If Caban wins. Uh, And so there's a lot to be determined in these final several days before the election on Tuesday, June 25th. Folks out there in Queens, Democrats, you can vote on Tuesday in this district attorney primary. Caban, Katz, Lanceman, Lasik, Lugo, Malik, Nieves. We barely scratched the surface here on this race, but David Brand of the Queens Daily Eagle and Emma Whitford, thank you for joining us. And we will be following your work in the final days of the race. Thanks. So he's Ben Max. I'm Jarrett Murphy. You've been listening to Max and Murphy. Please stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News and join us again next Wednesday at 5. Don't forget to vote if you're a Queens Democrat on Tuesday. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world.